Good morning and welcome to another episode of The Week on 3. I'm your host, Christy Lai. Wishing everyone a happy Easter holiday. If it's your first time joining me here, I'll be sharing with you some thought-provoking and interesting interviews from the past week here on Radio 3. Emigrating abroad is a huge decision and often requires a lot of planning ahead of time, especially when you have a pet coming along with you. However, some have decided to leave their companions behind due to the cost and limited flights available. There are no official statistics in terms of how many pets are abandoned each year, but the number of government-issued animal health certificates, a document needed for pets to travel, but not always given out for that reason, surged to almost 9,000 in 2021 from about 3,700 in 2020. Adopting a pet is a huge responsibility, and once you've decided to accept a furry friend into your family, you should be caring for it until it reaches the Rainbow Bridge and giving it the best life you can. On Wednesday's Back Chat, Jim Gould and Anna Fenton spoke to Dr. Jerry Paul, a veterinarian from Pet Export Vet, and Sally Anderson, the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue, about the latest situation and things to look out for when traveling with your furry friends. Jim, the, the increase in services has been going on for quite some time now. In fact, uh, even before the COVID crisis uh, started, um, uh, we were starting to see an increase in the number of uh, people interested in pet relocation services out of Hong Kong, and it's uh, just been getting uh, more and more, to be honest. So what's the situation now? Because I, I know from having to do it myself and anecdotally that the rates have gone through the ceiling. Uh, the restricted number of flights mean that either in cargo, which is one way to fly your pet out of here, or as excess baggage, the opportunities to do that are severely limited. So what is the situation right now if you want to relocate your pet, say, to Australia or the UK or the US? Well, it's uh, and it's uh, interesting you said the UK and Australia. They're, they're both uh, the, the two number one destinations for my company uh, mm -hmm. with inquiries. And both for both those destinations and, and many more, it's still extremely difficult. The, the airlines have been hurting for a long time now, and uh, you know they've uh, been suffering um, with reduced routings and government restrictions. And so, still at this point for Hong Kong, we're finding very, very limited opportunities to get animals onto flights. So the situation is we've got the backlog of quite a number of animals to various destinations. So what, what's the wait list now? If you want to fly to the UK and you're trying to book a ticket, how far ahead would you have to plan to get yourself and your pet on the same flight? Well, very hard to say because, for example, uh, British Airways um, are not accepting any pets at all at the moment and they've not given an indication yet as to when they're going to start accepting pets again. Well, they're not flying, are they? <laughs> they're, they're, they're not flying to UK at the moment. Yeah, that's right. So we're not, we've not got anything there and Cafe have got very limited uh, options. So you'd, you'd be looking, you know, probably two to three months at least to um, get something. But it's, it's hard to crystal ball this because, you know, there's, there's no sort of hard um, uh, facts from the airlines as to when they're going to restart and what's going on. So it's a bit of a holding pattern, to be honest. Now, which, which airlines will allow you to take a small pet in a carry box under your seat? I know there's a maximum of eight kilos, including the box. Which airlines will allow that? Uh, there's quite a few of the European airlines that will uh, accept in-cabin travel. They call it in-cabin, and uh, 
yes, they do need to be a smaller animals. Um, so a lot of the European airlines are still accepting them. I mean, it's, it's, I'd say to my clients that, you know, with a long journey, we're a 10 or 11 hour journey in cabin. It's quite a, a difficult thing to obviously manage your pet in those things. So I, I don't recommend it, to be honest. I prefer that they would go into the cargo hold, which is, you know, cabin, uh, which is obviously got climate control and gives them more ability to move around. But I do understand people are wanting to get out any way they can. And I certainly have clients who have gone in cabin. Um, but, uh, and, uh, but you know, so a lot of the European islands are still accepting in cabin. All right. So, so Sally Anderson, you, you founded Hong Kong Dog Rescue. And I know that you've been dealing with, from reading your blog every day, a lot of people who are shall we put it politely, um, surrendering their animals rather than take them with them. How bad is that problem? Uh, well, obviously, we've always uh, got people surrendering their pets for whatever reason. Um, but it has increased tremendously since the, this problem started with, with uh, getting dogs on flights. Um, some, you know, I think are genuine. Um, people have really, really tried and failed, and and other people are, are really taking advantage of the situation and, and just using it as an excuse. But definitely, um, there's been an increase. And do you see people are leaving their dogs in a kind of foster situation and going ahead, hoping to fly their pet later, or are they well, just that, abandoning yeah, them? That, that's one thing, but then again... Um, at many times we've seen dogs that have been fostered uh, with promises of, you know, we're, we'll bring them over when we're settled and all the rest of it, or when we can get a flight. And then the foster being left literally holding the baby, you know, and then <laughs> it's uh, having to surrender to uh, HKDR or any other organization that will take them. But the, the number of animal rescue groups that can take the dogs, uh, it's, it's just, it's becoming very very hard for everybody right and and what do pets suffer through being abandoned like this well they, they you know animals bond with their human family in the same way that they would bond with as part of uh, a pack you know in nature so obviously losing that their family is um extremely difficult some dogs you know, depending on their character um, and how confident they are, some dogs adapt fairly quickly. Other dogs really take a long time to get over it. It's, it's like a grief or, or that you would have with a human. You know, it, it's they, they're losing something that really means a lot to them. So it can be uh, quite devastating for some dogs. So what's your message to people who think, oh, well, I can always give my dog to Hong Kong Dog Rescue or LAP or one of the animal rescues if I can't take it with me? What's your message for them? Well, obviously we want to, I mean, people who adopt, well, I, I should go back to the beginning, you know, it, it's if you get a dog, you have to understand or, or accept that it's a family member. So just as you wouldn't, say, well, it's a bit difficult and expensive to fly our children with us. You, you've got to consider the dogs uh, as part of your family and do everything that you can. You know, I do appreciate that there are situations, especially now when it, it really is impossible, especially going to countries like Australia where it's difficult to get dogs in at the best of times. 
but um, the, a dog is a commitment, really, as part of your family. Dr. Jerry Paul, a veterinarian from Pet Export Vet, and Sally Anderson, the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue, on Wednesday's back chat. In case you didn't know, Ramadan began two weeks ago, and it is observed by Muslims worldwide as a month of fasting, prayer, reflection, and community. However, there are still many misconceptions and misunderstanding about fasting, and what Muslims have to follow during this period. On Thursday's Wednesday Three Show. Saudi Usmani and I did a Q&A about Ramadan to debunk all myths and also about fasting in general in other religions. Actually, so I first learned about Ramadan when I was in year 10 or year 9. So my biology teacher, she was also fasting and I didn't know why she was fasting. <laughs> she just told us, oh, I'm, I'm fasting so I can't really go out. Uh, doing any sports or activities because back in the day we had this um, outing where it was sort of like a class class activity and she couldn't really go out and we didn't understand why. Okay. So and she didn't really explain. Yeah,、anything. she didn't really explain why she was fasting. So、yeah. we were like, okay. <laughs> well, so, I feel so sorry. Yeah, yeah, I feel so sorry. Yeah. I think I think quite a few people don't. I mean, I think people hear that. Oh, it's Ramadan. Oh, nice. Okay, it's Ramadan. Then you might see flashes of headlines in the news to say people、mm. are fasting yeah, and,、exactly. and things like that. Yeah, and it's the holy month and、mm. all this. But it's interesting because quite a few people are hesitant to. I mean, I'm fasting. I'm fasting at this very moment. And And、I have been fasting for the last fifteen days,、um, and really, as I said, that you know, fasting is、um, something that quite a few of the religions, different religions. For instance, it's in Christianity. We just mentioned Lent,、mm-hmm. and I think certainly in Buddhism, there's some form of and Judaism, and Jainism, and Hinduism. They all seem to have some aspect of fasting in there. But this in Ramadan is basically. A month of fasting, and the number of times, seriously, people have said to me that, "Do you mean to say, like, do you fast for the whole month?" <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of my questions.、Yeah. <laughs> and、uh, well, I mean, we'll go on to some of those questions later. But before I actually go on to that, I'll tell you exactly what it is. I mean, basically,、um, fasting is a month for you know, for, in Islam, it's it's in the calendar, and it's basically Ramadan. That's the name of the calendar month, and、um, everyone fasts from sunset to sunrise. From you know, sorry, from sunrise to sunset, and、um, it is the reason that we fast is because it's almost like a directive given to us by God to say, look, you know, you do all sorts of things in your life, but the one thing that I'd like you to do for me is to just give up some of those things. That are close to you in terms of your food and your basic kind of needs. Sacrifice those for a month and and do it for me and see how you feel. You know because it's good for you. But it's also、um, a kind of practice where you know when we listen to the news and and we see things, we hear about people who are in war torn areas、uh, where where food is not available and you know. And we don't actually, you know, in ourselves, we don't actually know what it feels like to be hungry. Yes, Because the moment、sure. we are, I mean,、yeah. you know, when you fancy something to eat, you just think, okay, I'm going to go and get some lunch or whatever. And、um, so it's actually to put yourself into that position to one to submit to God to the, to to know that you're going to do this and you're going to do this solely for a higher being here.、Mm-hmm. 
but also to identify with how people feel when when they don't have food. I mean, in a way, we're kind of very lucky because I know that there's food on the table at the end of the day, right. but quite a few people won't know that. They don't that. have it, yeah. That's right. So it's, and it's a real discipline um, because, you know, you can't, and, and this fast for Ramadan is nothing at all. You cannot eat or drink anything. Oh, okay. So no drinking for a good 10 hours. Yeah. yeah. So for instance, for me, it started at just before five o'clock this morning. Mm -hmm. And um, then the sunset this evening is about 6.45. So after 6.45, you can feast. (laughs) (laughs) But, But at the same time, there are other things too that you have to kind of watch out for. So what are they? What are the other things that you would have to? Well, while you're fasting, you know, you're supposed to, the whole discipline thing comes in and that you're supposed to be as good as you can. Right. right. So if you have a habit of swearing <laughs> or, or you're going to talk about somebody or whatever, it just makes you all the more aware of it. And you think, don't spoil your fun. Don't do it. <laughs> so are there certain categories of people that maybe don't fast or... Yeah, for yeah. maybe health reasons, do they not fast? Yeah. Um, in terms of children, like really, children at the age, you know, once they reach puberty, mm-hmm. they're expected to fast, right? right? So about 12 to 14, mm-hmm. you know. And and people who are exempt from fasting are, are old people, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who've got any illnesses or sickness or whatever, um, pregnant women and breastfeeding women menstruating women and if you're also on a journey like for instance if you were traveling if you were taking a flight somewhere which you know we hope you can sometimes <laughs> um you know if you're if you're traveling and stuff then you don't need to fast and when you leave those fasts you can actually make them up any time else during the mm, during the year any time right. when the days are a bit shorter mm-hmm. um but also like if you feel unwell like for instance the other day i felt like i had a bit of a migraine and i thought oh i'm gonna have to sit in the studio and i won't be able to see the screen so i need to take some medication and so then i stopped my fast i right. thought no i need to do this mm-hmm. because i can't afford to go get ill while i'm doing this program so so you can you know there are certain exemptions you can make mm-hmm. so are there any uh extra activities or things that maybe Muslims like to do during Ramadan? Yeah, I think, uh, well, you know, if it wasn't for COVID and and things like that, you know, for the last couple of years, it's been so, it's a very social occasion, social community. um, In under normal circumstances, when it's Ramadan, people are, you know, obviously going to the mosques and praying and and there's lots of gatherings like that. But they, it's it's a special occasion that you go and open your fast with friends, you Mm -hmm. know, like you might go out dinner and people invite you people make really nice things to eat and things like that but on you know the social side is one side but the other side of it is um you know you're encouraged not to waste too much time like quite a few households and i think you know lots of households muslim households will actually say look there's going to be no playstation no Netflix, yeah. no watching TV, no binging on dramas or anything <laughs> like that. We know about that one. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, just use your time constructively, you know, read uh, read good things like, you know, and, and obviously like read the Quran and, you know, understand a little bit more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a self-exploration yeah. period in yeah. a sense. Yeah. And that was Saria Usmani and I on The One Two Three Show. And wishing everyone a Ramadan Mubarak. I have always enjoyed backseat gaming, 
which is when you watch someone else play a video game and keep commenting on every move the player is making. Sometimes it's great when the game has great character development and lore, as it gives the player a deeper experience to immerse themselves into the world that the game is trying to build. Instead of nitpicking or complaining about how the game has terrible plot, what if I told you that you could actually write a script for a video game? For our next interview, we'll find out about a brilliant competition for children, which is all about writing a script for a video game. It is called From Player to Page, and organizer Simon Angrier told Phil Whelan more about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting sort of approach that we're taking to try and keep that interest in writing in English really high, but also trying to do it for something that, uh, that young people, kids especially, uh, can really relate to. So you're the organiser, but are you coming to this through an education angle? Is that your bag? Yes, uh, we've we've organised it uh, for the last two years. Actually, last year was the first year that we uh, we ran it, and uh, it was so successful that we had to bring it back because yeah. Uh, yeah, all the partners who were involved were really keen to see it again. Whose idea was this? I mean, video game is really groovy. You're going to have them composing video game music next. Whose idea was to take it out of the realms of give us a story of a thousand words? <laughs> Well, the idea to uh, to try and write for specific sort of uh, audiences, different audience types, actually, because we uh, we have three different categories. Yeah. Uh, so you can write reviews, you can uh, write a piece of character development, Brilliant. or you can write a sort of script that you'd love to see in a video game uh, that you've never seen before. Um, and yes, trying to write in those different styles was uh, was kind of key because it's something that students who are studying the Hong Kong DSE regularly do. Creative writing is yeah. uh, leaning more into those kinds of areas, so uh, that's that's what we wanted to uh, to really give students the opportunity to work with. It sniffs of industry as well, which is brilliant. It's real, you know, it's an actual thing. How, how do you mean the, the video games themselves? Yeah, I mean the the, the nature of the writing—it's wonderful to go do poetry competitions and this, that, and the other. But this has got a real practicality to it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a real chance to to sort of build on uh, just an interest in writing stories yeah. um, and writing for other purposes, and to, and to really integrate it into something that's uh, that's such a sort of captivating medium to use. Anyone who's played video games knows that once you're in those worlds, they really take you somewhere. Oh, yeah. uh, so it's a, it's a great opportunity to really like get going, get creative, and and start building those word worlds yourself. It's so funny that I actually trip over my own words and start calling worlds words. <laughs> it um, <laughs> it's the excitement, it's the exuberance. Why don't you tell our listeners right now? Whilst we're talking, if they want to flick around, okay, it's called from player to page, but where do they look? Where's the best place? Sorry, I didn't quite catch you then, Phil. Could you say that again? You're talking about you falling over your words. Now, where do our listeners go to find out more about from player to page online as we're talking? Where do they go? So, uh, you can check out the competition by visiting uh, www.fromplayertopage.com. Uh, you can also go on to the IG, so uh, it's an app from player to page. Yep. Um, we're also, as competition organisers, we've got promotional material on our website, so you can visit uh, cicero.com.hk. Mm -hmm. um, 
and keep an eye out for some of the many posters that should be popping up uh, around social media and around the city as well. On your website, are there any kind of guidelines? Because this is quite a skill. But are there any guidelines that you'd like to offer people or do you just say go for it? <laughs> yes. So we try to encourage students. I mean, you could keep writing for as long as you wanted, really. Okay. It's, uh, it's sort of um, it's kind of endless. But we try to encourage you to write uh, if you're entering into the junior uh, junior age group, yep. uh, which would be from uh, 11 to 14. Mm. We encourage you to write between 300 to 500 words. Um, if you're entering in the senior age category, so we're thinking 15 up to 18, uh, then we'd encourage you to write four to 600 words. Okay. Um, that's across all three categories. And um, yes, try to get your entries into us before July the 1st. Right. I, you, you mentioned just now that you have sponsors for this. Now, sponsors doesn't always mean people sort of coughing up publicity or, or money. Hello. Um, but it may, you've got guys involved in this project who tell the kids how to do things, who instruct them, haven't you? Like with the audio and bits like that. Yeah, so what we've uh, tried to do is partner with people who are thinking along the same lines as us. Um, and one of our first supporters was the University of Lancaster in the UK. Okay. Their creative writing department is, uh, is phenomenal and uh, it's ranked number one in the UK. Um, and yes, they were on board with us from the very start. They could see that, uh, yes, when you're writing creatively, writing for uh, for a video game gives you that same type of freedom as writing uh, for novels, for plays. Um, so they were with us from the get-go. Yeah. Last year, we had uh, All Voice Talent who partnered with us. Um, amazing uh, guys over there um, who were there to really coach the students through after after they came through what, what sort of things were they doing simon you know practically speaking yes so what all voice were able to do for us was uh, give students the opportunity to go into a studio so yeah. we wanted uh we wanted students to really see their words come alive and uh that's something that uh david and the team over at all voice talent uh were able to really show to the students that when you've written something down you can then treat it as almost like a podcast. You can start to bring Indeed. it to life yourself. Uh, and that obviously means uh, perfecting the way you deliver things. That was Simon Angrier, organizer from Player to Page on Wednesday's Morning Brew. To find more about this creative competition, check out their website at fromplayertopage.com. To end today's program, I'll leave you with Steve James, who will take us back in time to the day in music. Thanks for listening. And join me again this time next week on The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. What am I doing now? Oh, educational part. It's the public service part of our program and questions plaguing humanity. Questions plaguing humanity. If a cyclops closes his eye momentarily, is it a wink or a blink? Answers on a postcard, please. Why does grape flavour smell like that when actual grapes do not taste or smell anything like that? Grape flavour. If prunes are dried plums, where does prune juice come from? If you pinch yourself and it hurts, are you too strong or too weak? 
questions plaguing humanity. Can a shorter person talk down to a taller person? I can answer that. Yes. Are eyebrows considered facial hair? Are a brain transplant and a body transplant actually the same thing? Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom a lack zoom a lack wee But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four Everything stops for tea Oh, the golfer may be golfing And is just about to make a hole in three But it always gets a saw when the clock counts four Everything stops for tea Beetle bit! Surgeons who listen to ACDC while operating are more accurate and efficient according to a new study. Researchers at Germany's Heidelberg University found that listening to rock music can have a calming effect and even lower blood pressure. And listening to fast-paced music proved to be a major factor in speeding up operations. Doctors who listened to ACDs, Highway to Hell and TNT went from taking 236 seconds to make an incision to 139. And they were also 5% more accurate. Also in this article, the Beatles' Hey Jude and Let It Be sped up the time taken to stitch up wounds by 50%, but only when played at low volume. Personal comment, I could do literally anything in the time it takes for those na-na-na-na-na-na-na's to fade out. Hey Jude, don't make it bad, take a sad song and make it better, remember to let her into your heart, then you can start to make it Hey, Jude. 